what we're going to find this morning is not only is Daniel intent on walking faithfully, but he's intent on understanding why it is that Israel and God's people and he are in exile in the first place. He's going to, 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 to kind of go down a layer and talk about why is it that God has us in this place at this time? What time is it in the life of God's people? And I'm going to venture to say, if you and I want to be faithful as spiritual exiles, we have to know how to best interpret what's going on around us and why things are happening the way they are. And I don't mean like all the mysterious purposes of God. I mean like the revealed purposes. What is God trying to do in our lives, your life, my life, your heart, my heart, through the exile that we may find ourselves in this morning? So here's a provocative question to get us rolling into the text. Okay, here it is. When life comes apart at the seams, when, when things stop working, Hey, when, when, when you feel like you've sort of hit the brick wall spiritually, emotionally, relationally, who do you look to blame? Sounds kind of harsh. Who do you look to assign responsibility for? Okay. Where, who, who, who out here, what out here, what person, what country, what thing, what circumstance do I sort of locate my problems with my exile. You know, there's the therapeutic interpretation that will tell us that our troubles relate ultimately to our, our parents. And if some of you have your parents here with you this morning, it's all their fault. No, your parents, your experiences, your backgrounds, maybe a traumatic event in your life, like that's mainly, okay, the explanatory factor, the decisive factor. For us, I mean, we're in the political season, right? So it's the political interpretation. So it's about our leaders and our laws and our system and who's elected and our officials. That's, that's the determinative factor, something that's going on out here. Now, understand something. All those things are important. They're not irrelevant. It's not to marginalize them. But Daniel points us to something that's much, much more important. Because of all people, was it not Daniel? Is it not Daniel? who had the capacity to look and say, you know what, the troubles, the exile that I find myself in, buddy, this doesn't have anything to do with me, <laughs> okay? I mean, I'm going to locate it all out there. I mean, think about Daniel, what we've learned. Torn from his bed, literally, in the dead of night, shipped away from his family, never to see his home, his country, his temple, his family again, his friends again. He is enrolled in the dark arts. He's enslaved, okay, in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, a tyrant the world has never known. He has been castrated, made a eunuch. He has been, from all worldly perspectives, given no hope for living a productive, okay, thriving life. If there's anyone, right? And by the way, if Daniel lived today, we would put him in therapy and on meds, right? That's what we would do. Yet in this text, after all that, we find Daniel, of all things, confessing. He's confessing. And this confession, on the surface, is totally confounding. When Daniel Daniel looks at all that ills him, and all that ills God's people, he's not concerned a whit about what's out there. 
He says, people of God, judgment discipline begins right here in the heart of God's people. What's most important, I think Daniel wants us to know today, is that you and I be able to identify a singular purpose, not a singular, but a primary purpose for how God wants to move in your heart and life, regardless of whatever exile you find yourself in. And guys, this, is, this requires eyes, ears of faith. It, it requires a corrective lens to, to, to shift the focus from all that ills us out there to, to peering deep into our own hearts. But that's where Daniel is leading us. So this sermon is called The Prophet, the Prayer, and the People of God. And we're going to read the whole thing. It's a, it's a little long. Um, I think it, God will be blessed and honored as we read it. So we're, really the text is divided into two things, Daniel's prayer and God's answer. Daniel's prayer and God's hope. Daniel's prayer and our hope. So let's read together, and we're going to put this on the screen for you if you don't have your, your Bibles. Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning away from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. 
Now, therefore, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own namesake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let me just pause there and say, this is Daniel's prayer, which you might want to try out at Thanksgiving this year to your extended family and to see what happens. The rest of this text, which, which is going to be a little strange, but we'll, we'll work our way to it, is God's answer. How does God respond to the confession of his man? While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half a week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I'm going to ask one of our elders, Mike Slaughterback, to, to pray for us, ask our help as we unpack this text. Pray with me. Lord God, you are in your heaven above us, and yet you have descended to earth, adopted us as your children, left us with your spirit, and we pray for your spirit to be among us that we would understand his movement in our lives, that we would understand the word you have written. So I pray for illumination to our pastor Paul this morning as he presents the word of God. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Daniel's prayer, God's hope. Those are our two points. Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 1. This is the first year of Darius, which means if you were here for other parts of our study, that the Persians have just taken over from the Babylonians. It's a new day. It's a new era. And verse 2 tells us that Daniel indicates that, in fact, it's the, it's the dawning of, of a new day for Jerusalem. The end of the desolations of Israel is the way he calls this. 
Now, what he means by this is that Israel's exile, which, which Israel was sent into, into Babylon because they had turned their back on God. They had, they had broken their covenant with him. And as a means of tutoring them back to him, God says, I'm going to put you in exile for 70 years. So, so by this time, Daniel is 85. He was 15 or so. This has been a long, long time. And the reason that Daniel knows that, that the desolations of Israel drawing to a close is that he's been studying his Bible. Isn't that interesting? It's one of the places in Scripture where one Scripture writer quotes another. And he's into the book of Jeremiah, who's a contemporary in some way. We're not even sure exactly their connection. But clearly, Daniel has this word And probably he's looking in Jeremiah 25 and 29, we don't have time to to look there, where Jeremiah specifically prophesies that Israel will be in exile for 70 years. And and, and, and don't want to blow past this. Because when it sees, when you see the word perceived, Daniel perceived in the word. You know, know, another, other translations say Daniel understood, totally understates what's saying, what's being said here. The Hebrew literally means to pay very close attention to, to to consider carefully. Daniel was literally immersed in the word of God, and that's why he could perceive what time it was for the people of God. Now, thinking about this idea of immersion, um, our family is going to head over to the beach on Thanksgiving, and, and our kids are going to come up to the ocean, and what is the first thing they're going to want to do? It doesn't matter how cold it is, okay? It doesn't matter that it's the end of November. For some reason, right, Suze, that's inexplicable, they're going to want to get into the ocean, okay? Now, if you're going to get in the ocean at the end of November, how do you do it, okay? Do you kind of tiptoe up to the water and, like, dip your toe right in? Is that how you do it? No, you are lame. You're a lame parent if you do that, right? No, you've got to go full bore all the way in, you know, polar bear club, the whole kid and caboodle, right? If you do that, you have lost your mind, okay? Well, this idea of immersion, that's what this word perceive means, okay? Daniel was literally immersed in the life of God. You see, Daniel's relationship went beyond a cursory I'm going to read a small devotional for two minutes this morning and pray on my way out the door while I'm in the shower. And if that's what God gave you this morning, I mean, God uses that, okay? But Daniel literally ordered his thoughts around the life of God. Ever thought about that? We've seen this in other texts where we know Daniel had this discipline of praying three times a day, um, just, just in terms of meditative prayer. We, we see down in verse 21, look there, that Daniel says, Gabe, remember Daniel's writing this, and, and Daniel says, Gabriel came and visited me at the time of the evening sacrifice. What is he talking about? Guys, it's been 70 years since there have been evening sacrifices in the temple, but yet Daniel still takes time by God's worship and liturgical calendar. Daniel was a man who who literally ordered his life around the life of God. If God was the son, Daniel and his life were the solar system that orbed around it. 
Now, as we think about what this means for us, because there, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real propensity to immediately say, well, that, well, Daniel's a prophet. I mean, of course, okay, you prophets and pastors, you guys have time to do this all the time. Let, let, as we're bridging application here, let me say a couple of things. Daniel was not a pastor. What was he? A politician, okay? And this, this immersion in the life of God, I really want to call us to think about this seriously for our own lives, is not something reserved for the high and holy. It is, it is I believe, by God's grace, a normative experience for God's people. See, your communion with God, my communion with God, doesn't have anything to do with our vocation. Whether you find yourself as a stay-at-home mom or you're a banker, you work in construction, uh, you're a businessman, a judge, lawyer, wherever God has you, there's always the call as God's people to being spiritually alert. You see, Daniel was so, had been so immersed in the word of God it just sort of poured out of him. Daniel was so immersed in the life of God and the communion of God that, that when the moment occurred, when the crisis happened, when the exile was brought upon him, boom, he knew, he knew. He didn't know all, but he knew, God, there's a redemptive purpose in this. God is working in this. God is working through this. And so, 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 this is, so that's just a sidebar, just a, just a note. As God's people, we don't need to say, you know, this is just totally unattainable for us. Okay? This has not happened. No, no, no. There is the opportunity as, as, as God's people to be in such a place that we are praying with our eyes open. Hey, that, that, we are, that we are, as we're going about our day, that we are thinking on the promises of God. Even as you're teaching, even as you're working, even as you're meeting, we see that there is this communion with God that happens between God and Daniel. Now, that's important because I want you to see what comes out of Daniel's communion with God in verse 3. It says, then. So Daniel's meditating, he's having communion. It says, then. And what would you expect this to say? Daniel has just perceived that the 70 years are coming to a close. God's people are finally, maybe, getting to go home. That's celebration, right? That's party. That's joy. That's praise. But instead, to our ears, Daniel does something very peculiar. Beginning in verse 3 and going all the way down through verse 15, we have a confession that is literally unparalleled in all of God's word. I'm just going to mention a few phrases that jump out, and you can just kind of skim verses 3 through 15 with me as I, as I work through it. Daniel says, break out the sackcloth and ashes. Okay, these, are, these are standard fare at the time for mourning, for weeping, for, for coming under great spiritual distress. Daniel says, we've sinned, we've done wrong. He says, we've acted wickedly and rebelled. We've turned aside. He said, we've not listened. We've committed treachery. We have not entreated. We have not turned. It's kind of like Daniel's looking for every singular way to say, God, okay, 
when, when we come to this idea of the desolations of Israel ending, and I look around, your hearts of your people are unchanged. You're, you're, you promised to return us home if we just simply turned back to you. But I look at the people of God, and, I'm, and God, our hearts are hardened. Our hearts are unrepentant. You see, Daniel was such a man of the book. It tells us in verse 11 through 12 that he just brings the law of Moses immediately to mind. You see, see, Daniel knew that God had promised the people of Israel, if only, even if having turned their backs on him for generations, decades, centuries even, if only God's people would turn their heart and face back to him in repentance, he would restore them. Because that's an amazing promise, by the way. This is not in the notes. (laughs) But you may have been walking far away from God for years or, or weeks or days or months or, or even decades. But you need to know the promise of God to you is that if you simply confess your sin today and turn to him, he will restore you just as he does the people of Israel. See, Daniel knew 1 Kings. I know, I'm convinced he knew 1 Kings. 1 Kings 8, what does it say? When your people Israel are defeated because the enemy, before the enemy because they have sinned against you, that was Israel, exiled to Babylon, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, what a promise, guys. doesn't mean there's not consequences. It doesn't mean there's not all the problems go away. But you listen. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. See, I'm convinced so often when we find ourselves in points of despair that because we don't have this word to draw from, if, if this word of 1 John, if, if you're faithful and just to confess your sins, God's faithful and just to cleanse you from your sins, to forgive you from all unrighteousness. You see, Daniel was so saturated in the word and in prayer that he was correctly able to interpret what was going on around him and what was happening to him. And this idea of interpretation is very important, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. What time did you go to bed on Tuesday night? What time did you go to bed? I went to bed the first time, okay, at, at 11.30. And then about 12.30, I felt a little poke in my side as, as, as Susan was like, you've got to get up and look at all this. This is crazy, okay? And so, now, now let me ask you this. So, so, so whether you were elated or devastated on Wednesday morning. Clearly, it was an evening that demanded some sort of interpretation, right? And the talking heads, they started right up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., right? This is what it means, this is what it does mean. This is what we draw from this, these results. Here's what we don't draw. Guys, when we know that interpretation is really important, and by the way, another sidebar, I, I truly believe if Daniel were here, the interpretation that he would provide us is Daniel 9. He would say, say, people of God, people of God, okay? Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on your own hearts. Everything that's happening out here is important. It has its place. 
but it's not the most important thing. Guys, Daniel, think about all the things that Daniel could have confessed here. I confess what a wicked man Nebuchadnezzar is. Okay? I, I confess that these Persians, I mean, their table etiquette is awful, okay? And by the way, it was awful, okay? Think about the way they treat women and think about the way they do this and think about the way they, they've, they've done this to me and done this to me. Guys, if there's anybody who could have located their problems out there and confessed the sins of everyone around it, it would have been Daniel. But what does he say? Okay. Think about how many times he's, we, it's us, it's ours. See, so often, and this is kind of turning from political to personal, okay? so often our interpretive grid, and this is always true, is, is shaped by what we're immersed in. And you can tell what we've been immersed in by the way we respond to the exiles God brings into our life. Remember, God is the one who brings these things into our life. And when we find ourselves saying things like, God's not good, God's not in control, God doesn't care, God's not answering my prayers, Pastor Paul, God's not listening to me, understand that those are interpretive statements. And derived independent of God and his words, they, they, they probably are pretty logical. But see, the, the essence in the heart of what Daniel understood by, by his discipline, by being in the word of God, is that he knew that one of God's central purposes in the exile of his people, that us, you, Four Oaks, the church, he knew one of the central purposes for God and his people was to change their hearts. See, that's an interpretation right there. Look what Daniel says in verse 13. He says, As it is written in the law of Moses, now listen, all this calamity has come upon us. So contextualize that for yourself. What has been the calamity that has come upon you? That for you, that might be political, that might be personal, relational, family, marital, financial. I don't know what that is for you. But that calamity has come for a reason. Now listen to this. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. What's Daniel saying there? Guys, whatever exile God has brought into your life and into my life, he has a purpose of going after your heart. He has the purpose of of garnering your attention to say, when I try to live life outside the framework of God and his word, then, then I no longer am seeing and experiencing and tasting the very presence of God through this thing. Guys, whatever God has brought into your life, he's done it to work in you, to change in you, to begin with you, to begin with me. As I was you know, I, I think there's, there, there's something here to say that regardless of whatever exile you find yourself in this morning, all of us, all of us, have something to confess and repent of. As I, I was, um, not nobody here, but many years ago, counseled with a, with a couple, um, and as they came in and started to un, kind of unpack their problems, the husband would have probably been one to say, 
about 90% of the problems that we're having in this marriage, okay, are about her, okay? And as I listened to their story, you know what? I kind of agreed, actually, okay? And so, but he said, you know, I can't, but let me tell you what happened as a work of grace in that, in that marriage. That man had to come to a place and say, I don't know what percentage is me. I don't know. It could be 100%. It might be 1%. Guys, there might be, ladies, there might be some of you this morning, the relational conflict that you're in or the thing that's, um, that, that, has, that has sort of descended upon you, you might have 1% responsibility. I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, it's always our call as the people of God to confess and repent. And this man would say, I knew right then, if I did not own what was mine, okay, whatever that represents, I knew that this marriage had no hope. And as he owned what was his, it was amazing. She, slowly, over time, began to own what was hers. Guys, whatever exile or crisis you find yourself in this morning, here's a great quote from Charles Bridges I think applies. He says, it's folly to cry out of the badness of the times when there is so much more reason to complain of the badness of our hearts. Because if you want to see your spiritual life transformed, if you want to see your perspective changed, there's a really great just nugget in this passage that Daniel points us to, and here it is, okay? It's, it's not a great mystery. It's not, it's not exceedingly difficult, but it's, it's, it's right here, and here it is. You and I need to learn in our praying to pray the word of God. I'll explain what I mean here in a second. I, 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 was, I was, this morning, I got up to work on this message, and I, was, and I was praying, and I've been praying in this passage this week, but this morning, it just kind of dawned on me, Paul, you have not read this passage, and prayed this passage for you, okay? You've prayed it for them, okay? Isn't that helpful? You've, you've prayed it for them. You've prayed it for the world. You've prayed it for your family. You've prayed it for everybody. Have you prayed it for you? And see, that's, and when that happens, God begins to shape that interpretive grid, doesn't he? He begins to change that filter. He begins for, and, and it has this amazing effect of taking the focus on all that ills us out there to saying, God, what ills me in here? As George Mueller, who I've told you about before, and really the, the, the founder of the whole idea of, of, of orphan care in Great Britain 200 years ago, really struggled in prayer his first 10 years of his life. He, he would say he was distracted. Now, he would say something about things would catch my attention, okay? What he means is that he was distracted, okay? He was bored. He was meandering. He didn't know what to pray for. He would sit down, and his mind would go in a million directions. He would check his smartphone. If he had one, he would have checked it, okay? No, no doubt about it. Can, can you relate? Can you relate? Listen to his testimony of how God began to, cha- to transform his prayer life. And this is important. As God transforms your prayer life, it's not that he doesn't care about the other things you are praying about. He just begins to change the things you are praying about. Okay? 
And as a result of that, he changes your heart. He changes your perspective. Listen to his testimony. He says, the difference then between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible. But what was the result? Often after having suffered much from wondering of mine, he was bored out of his mind, is what he means, okay? For the first 10 minutes or quarter of an hour, even half an hour, do you ever have that time? You, you, you feel your intentions are so good. I'm going to set this time aside to pray and read, and it's just gone. You're thinking about a million different things. He says, I scarcely ever suffer now in this way. Why? He says, for my heart being nourished by the truth, I speak to my father and to my friend, listen to this, about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word. I want you to think about this. He says, I read the Bible. You know, Bible reading and prayer are not two distinct things. Okay, it's not like I read my Bible here and then I pray over here. Okay? Because that's not the way it worked with Daniel. Mueller was saying, I, 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 pray, I, I read God's word. And as I'm seeing the prayers of the apostles and Jesus and Paul, I'm spurred on by their prayers. I'm praying the same things that they're praying. Um, I see the priorities of God's word and what it says in this passage and this passage, and I'm praying those things right back to God for people. I'm seeing that conflict that happened um, to these two women in the church in Philippi, and now I'm spurred to pray for this conflict that's happening right over here. The word of God was informing his prayers. John Piper says... He doesn't read the Bible longer, this is so, so Piper, than three minutes without praying, okay? Now, you land on that the way it will. But I do know this, and this is where Piper's really, really helpful. He lists out all the things that the New Testament writers pray for. And as I read these, it is so convicting. Because so often in our prayers, what are we doing? We're praying for God to what? Fix something, Okay. And don't stop praying that, by the way. God's, we certainly can't fix anything, okay? So most certainly pray that God would fix something. But what are we asking God to fix? Here's just a couple of examples, okay? And there's some up here. Pray that God would exalt his name in the world. Pray that God would extend his kingdom in the world. Pray that the gospel would speed ahead and be honored. Pray for the fullness of the spirit. Pray that God would save unbelievers. Pray for boldness and proclamation. Pray that God would establish leadership in the outpost. And it goes on and on and on. That's the kind of prayer Daniel was. He was in the word praying these things so that when exile came, his intuition, how he interpreted what he did with it, he knew what time it was for the people of God. There's a couple of practical helps. Go home tonight, pray Daniel 9. Pray Daniel 9. Go home and pray Ephesians 1. Get in the book of James. Believe me, you will have plenty to pray for. Okay? Okay. Go pray Psalm 1 and 2 tonight and think about the current political season that our country's in. It'll have an amazing way of transforming your perspective. So that's Daniel's prayer. It's my prayer for us. Okay? It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. Lastly, God's hope. And this is going to be quicker. How does God respond? Now, as we look at the response of God through the angel Gabriel, uh, uh, there, there could be a thought lurking for some of you, and I want to address it, that if God, if Pastor Paul, if God really loves me and loves us, 
why would he, why does he spend so much time talking about sin? Okay. I heard the televangelist say that we shouldn't talk about sin. We should just talk about grace because, you know, Jesus has paid for all that, all that sin stuff. Why, what, what, what's the connection here? Doesn't God love me? Guys, God wants to talk about our sin because he loves us. Okay. That, that in fact, God knows you and I are going to continue to sin (laughs) and, 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 the way we handle that sin is a crucial spiritual issue in our life. And so I want you to see the response of God related to the confession of Daniel. Hey, look down in verse 20. Gabriel shows up. Folks, you need to know that God is present in the midst of your confession. God is present in the midst of your confession Something I told first service, God is drawn like a bee to honey to your confession, your openness, your honesty, your transparency. Let's just say something that we all know to be universally true, whether we wanted it or not. Every one of us is a, is a hot mess in here, okay? Every single one of us, okay? Healthy churches are ones that admit it, okay, and deal with it and bring it into the light. Unhealthy churches are ones that deny or act like that doesn't happen. That's true in your marriage. It's true in your parenting. It's true in relationships. And I love this. He says, what does Gabriel tell, tell Daniel down in verse 20, I think it's 23. What does he tell him? You are what? Greatly loved. Greatly loved. Literally in the Hebrew, precious. Okay? You are precious. You are valued. The reason I'm bringing these things to your mind, Christian, the reason I'm bringing these things to your heart, because I want you to confess them so that I can pour my mercy and grace out on you and heal you. See, this is the gospel according to Daniel. Daniel is just so full of gospel. See, this, it's interesting that Gabe, it says that in response to Daniel's confession, Gabriel did what? Came what? Meandered, right? No, can you imagine Gabriel meandering? No, he came what? Swiftly, instantaneously, in response to the need. Christian, let me ask you, where in your sin this morning do you need Christ to come to you swiftly? Where do you need it? See, we're never to move past mourning over our sin as if that belongs to our conversion experience. And now we just got to pull ourselves up and do the best we can. Guys, confession and mourning over sin is the rhythm of the Christian life. What does Jesus say? This is a promise, a promise. Blessed are those who mourn for what? They shall be comforted. This answer, let's be honest, the 70-week stuff, it's really strange. Okay. So, and, and tomes and volumes of ink have been spilled on this. End-time charts have been drawn and scribbled on and erased time and time again. And, and we are not going to have time to go through all eight interpretive grids for this. Okay, So that's, we did this this summer in our Revelation class. I, but, but you know what? I don't even think that's the point. What's the essence of what God is saying to Daniel through this revelation of 70 weeks? Okay, I want you to look at verse 24 for a second. And remember, 
as strange as these things are to us, they were not strange to Daniel. They were not strange to Daniel. Daniel was well-versed in apocalyptic literature. It was kind of the storytelling device of the day. Remember, apocalyptic literature is not meant to be precise. It's meant to, commit, um, to, to communicate imagery and emotions and paint a picture. Remember, we likened it to the soundtrack of a movie. And so I think, I think verse 24 is the summary statement for which the rest of that chapter unpacks it. Let's read verse 24, and I'll tell you what I, the essence of what I think God's getting at with Daniel. It says, Daniel 70, we remember 70 is a sign of completion. 70 is, is, is a sign of, of a fixed outcome. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Then he proceeds to talk about the one week and the seven weeks, and the 62 and a half weeks. And, and again, these things can be complex, and there's a time and a place to really unpack them. But let me tell you what I think the essence, okay, the essence of what Daniel is being told here, okay? The first is this. True biblical hope, for Oaks, is not naive or unrealistic to the evil and the fallenness of this world. What, you're, what we find as we look at this section is that God does promise that his people will return to, to Jerusalem. The temple will be rebuilt, but it's just for a season, because why? That temple's destroyed. The struggle continues. God seems to be saying, Israel, I'm going to return you to your land, but remember, this is not your ultimate resting place. Okay? This is not where you're going to lay rest your head for eternity. Okay, it's going to be for a time and a season. Guys, oftentimes I find that our despair and our hopelessness corresponds to how much emotional investment and expectation that we have put into this life. Because this life is a gift. We, God's, God's given us family and friends and church and, I mean, so many blessings of the gospel. But when we look to them to deliver something that they were never intended to deliver, we will walk away despairing every time. There's only one thing eternal, only one person unchanging, Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In fact, we see in this that, that there's this intensification of the evil. It talks about the abomination of desolation. And some people think that's a fulfillment fulfilled when... Um, Antiochus came into the temple and offered blood on the sacrifice um, in the first century BC. Others think it points to the end times when the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness comes on the scene or all of the above. The point is this, folks, this life is full of difficulty. This life is full of hardship, which makes it all the more incumbent how we are interpreting what is going on around us. In each and every situation, God's after one thing, and that's your heart. That's the heart of his people. He's preserving his people. Verse 29 is the second thing. And while evil is real, not platonic, we don't think it's an illusion. Pain is real, evil is real. It's also limited. Verse 29, it says there is a decreed in. See, God ultimately preserves his people. You see, so often 
we can be amnesiacs when it comes to the events of this world. If this world is all there is, trust me, we ought to be despairing. But it's not. God's preparing for us a future weight of glory that will far outweigh them all. Daniel 9, and we're going to close with this, is telling us that the way God preserves his people through exile is through their heart of confession and repentance. That when God's Spirit is moving with us and we're confessing and we're repenting and we're turning to him, that's eternal life. That's eternal hope. That's the interpretive grid for us, for you, for me today in whatever exile we find ourselves a part of him. I'm going to ask you to do something. As we come to the table this morning, we're going to be singing a song um, written, by, written by Pastor Josh. Revive our hearts. And as much as you might be inclined to think about what's going on out there today, and it's good to think about that. It's good to pray for that. I want you to think about what's going on in here today. Where is God speaking to you? Where's God speaking to our brothers and sisters? God, revive my heart. God, revive our hearts. That's the gospel according to Daniel.